0: Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order.
1: This is Steve. This is Justin. From Sneakotopia, and thanks for listening to Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. (laughs) I love you, Josh. Damn it. What's up, this is
2: Rebel Radio. What up, what up, this is DJ Newmark. This is Butter Wolf. It's your boy, it's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Ah. Rebel Radio is going down. Would
3: did you say, Rebel Radio?
1: Oh, wait, let's do it again. R-R- Rebel Radio.
3: What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I talk to the Rebels who are shaping our culture. We talk about how they do it, why they do it, and what you can do to get a little piece of the pie for yourself. We're also the only show to bring you new music every week from our friends at EDM.com. I'm Josh Levine, and with me in studio this week is the founders of Sneakertopia. Uh, if you're in L.A. next month, you got to come check this out. It is a new um, kind of museum-style experience. It's shoppable. It's educational. It's entertaining. Uh, they're going to tell us all about it, but it's, uh, it's a new really a new type of experience they're building around sneakers and sneaker culture art music fashion the uh, the uh, combustion of all these things and it sounds like it's gonna be really fascinating Um, I love hearing their story about their journey to get to this place and um, how they brought their diverse backgrounds from street art law uh, music videos, filmmaking, all of that stuff together into, um, creating this experience for us. And, um, and we learned a little bit about teamwork, you know, how to make teams that are effective and get stuff done and also bring new ideas to the table. So good lessons for all of us coming up in this episode right after the edm.com track of the week.
0: My big, my bitch, drop bonies, like it big body, my shit. Get fucked, my dick, high, oh. fucked, fail yeah Get fucked, this hell,
1: fuck nigga, pray ya. Uh, might kill myself, hey. Fuck on my dick like you dance, hey. Come on my dick, I'm so handsome, hey. I pull out and come on your
0: panties, hey. Then I go ghost mode like I'm Denny my bitch i'm daddy daddy don't daddy. get tired i pop body.
3: Still, i that hey, was gxx with kill me the edm.com track of the week if you like that one get over to edm.com check out more new music and right now let's get into the interview with Justin and Steve from Sneakertopia Join us. i i'm excited to talk to you learn about sneakertopia uh, how it's all come together and, and what it's gonna be why don't, let's start by promoting uh, what is sneakertopia tell us tell us about it
1: sneakertopia is an immersive pop art museum with sneaker themed installations okay so it's like nothing you've ever seen felt or thought of before Um it appeals to the hardcore sneakerhead it mm-hmm. appeals to people just like museums and like art and like to be able to get out and experience culture and experience culture that feels new and fresh uh, in a way that's never been displayed before. Wow. And that the sounds key, great. and the key thing is it's it's not just
2: about the sneakers it's about that cultural component, right? Okay. So um we bring the guests along the journey of sneaker culture through all these different fields uh, that it has influenced and been influenced by, from sports to music to film, fashion, art, and design. Nice. And so they get to experience all these other kind of ancillary cultures through the lens of, of the sneaker. Um, I mean, it's such a power, It's like seems like such a functional product. Sure. But it's such a powerful kind of form of self-expression that brings all these people together. Which hopefully they'll all be, you know, experiencing in our space together.
3: When and where?
1: When uh, open to the general public, October twenty fifth. Okay. Uh, at
2: HHLA. Nice. Yeah, so it's a brand new development. Uh, yeah. So that's that's kind of really cool. We're a brand new uh, experience, and uh, we linked up with this brand new uh, property. Um, perfect location right between Culver. It's called the Playa District. It's right between uh, Culver City and Playa Vista. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're going to be the first tenant there. We have the corner 15,000 square foot space um, that we're completely customizing, building out into all these themed areas within the space. Um, And it's right off the 405 freeway. Mm -hmm. So part of us being there entailed uh, having three billboards that are going to be on the building that faced the 405, that we've commissioned a really talented muralist to oh, do cool. artwork on these billboards to promote the event. But it not only promotes the event, it almost like extends our exhibit onto yeah. the 405, which is like such like, you know with car culture in LA, such a for big sure. thing to have. Yeah,
3: Yeah, those billboards are big. I've yeah, seen cool. the, uh, I think GoPro had them for a long time. <laughs> and they're illuminated at night, so they like turn into these light boxes, yeah. Day, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's amazing. Um, so, you said it's something that, that, you know, hasn't, no one's seen anything like this before. Where'd the idea come from?
1: The idea actually spawned, so I, I'm, I'm a content producer. Mm-hmm. I produce and develop uh, TV show ideas. And the okay. idea was formulated from making a show about sneakers and then how could we, how could we make an immersive exhibit to help support the TV show? Yeah. And that actually took a life on its own and evolved into what is now Sneakertopia.
3: So will there be a TV show too?
1: And uh, there we're we will down the line, I mean in the process of doing this we are producing content, okay. but it's kind of like what Justin was talking about. The 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 audience when you enter Sneakertopia, it is it is very much going through not only the evolution of sneakers and the history of sneakers, mm-hmm. but the emotions that you feel when watching a TV show. All the different spaces, every different room, uh, it elicits emotion from from the audience.
3: That's great. Uh, well, let's talk more about that. I want to talk about you guys and your journey and how you got to this point. Um, tell us, uh, there's a question I always like to start people off with. So when do you will have it easy because you'll have a second to think of your answer. But uh, what's the first record you ever bought?
1: Uh, Sugar Hill Gang, no, and maybe um, Blowfly. Uh-huh. Do you ever hear Blowfly?
3: Uh, I used to love Blowfly. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then there Blowfly were Blowfly uh, is a, he's a forgotten icon. This is Blowfly, the master class,
2: and
1: I'm here to sock some soul to your ass, guys and girls, bull daggers and facts. And Richard Pryor yeah. albums, mm. yeah. It was like it was like taboo listening to those albums back sure. then. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I had I had three or four I still have three or four Richard Pryor albums. Um so funny, you know, the idea of listening to a comedy album now, right? That just doesn't you know, we see specials everywhere and all that, but just the audio experience of comedy uh is, is so great. And Blowfly, it was a great one, you know, cuz I was I was definitely at an age where I shouldn't have been listening to that. And for anybody that doesn't know, look it up, it's he's he was the first dirty rapper. Um, very dirty and very early on probably late 70s early 80s uh and so i remember it was like some kid who was like a year or two older than me and it was it was taboo for sure what about you Justin? um i
2: don't know if it was the first one but one of my earliest memories of buying an album was uh, boys to men
3: okay yeah motown philly yeah nice yeah uh, <laughs> nice <laughs> exactly that's cool i started my uh was a my big boys to men fan yeah is that right <laughs> yeah so my first job in the in the music industry I was an intern at Motown Records mm-hmm. right after that album came out.
2: Nice.
3: Um, so it was a, it was an interesting yeah. time.
2: Yeah, that's it was nice to, to see do.
3: them walk in the halls. And,
2: yeah.
3: Yeah, it was I think they
2: aren't they like now back together in Vegas or something. I think so. oh, yeah, yeah, they've like a <laughs> residency in Vegas. <laughs> I think so.
3: That's like the journey, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Uh, those those are good places to start. Yeah. For sure. Um, and so and so your background is is in TV. How did you how did you come to that?
1: Uh, in college, I started out um, making music videos while I was still in school. Okay. I, I went to school at Howard in D.C. Nice. Uh, What's and the first video you made? It was a rap group called the Defiant Giants, and the song was called Rise, Black Band Rise. This one off, we gotta start this one off, we gotta start this one off, and I need a little bit of help, I hope you taping this, it goes, it goes, it goes, it goes, my true potential, and then I did some work for um, for this group called Shy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember Shy. <laughs> um, and then uh, when I left Howard, my friend was in this group called Diggable Planets, mm-hmm. oh. and uh, I shot their music video. Oh, cool. Um, and. It's kind of. We love doing <laughs> hand there, <laughs> cool, Which video? Cool like that. Oh, is that <laughs> right? <laughs> no, I shot this video called um, Straight for the Heart. So, okay. uh, Doodoo Bug was my roommate. Uh
3: huh.
1: And my other roommate was, his name was Ugo. And uh, they did a song together. Everybody was in this video. I think Colby Bryant, uh, Bobby oh, wow. Brown. You can find it online. Nice. And then um, the last two videos I did was uh, Akineli mm-hmm. Love Me For Free. <laughs> like and uh, big pun in Ashanti yeah yeah
3: that's good um, so was that uh, was that the path you set out to be were you gonna be a video director I know some people would use that as kind of a stepping stone to other things
1: yeah I was gonna the, the, the plan was video director to commercials to feature films mm-hmm. and somewhere in between there uh, I just got from from video director to documentarian mm-hmm. to reality TV producer.
3: Okay, <laughs> was that like a was there a moment where you decided or realized that things were shifting, or did it, is it just looking back into the rear view that it, it was happened?
1: It, it, the, the shift happened because I realized that I could be more active if I was open to doing more work yeah. than just what what we viewed at the time as traditional filmmaking. Yeah and unscripted tv was blossoming uh this is like 2000 2001 Mm -hmm. and my documentarian work like i was directing episodes of wife swap Uh, so like my documentarian work translated really nice into unscripted tv was a lot different back in 2000 than it was from than it was now sure back then a director or a producer would be on a project and you have an episode and you'd see it completely through from meeting with the talent to actually editing the episode. Now it's kind of like a factory where it just keeps getting passed along down the assembly line. It doesn't really have that heart, that I feel. But mm-hmm. uh, that was my transition.
3: Okay. This episode of Rebel Radio is brought to you by HoneyBook. Now, I love having HoneyBook as a sponsor of our show because, you know, I run a creative business. I know a lot of you do. And if you're like me, you didn't get into it because you wanted to do the administration stuff. You got into it because you wanted to be creative. And so HoneyBook is an online business management tool that lets you organize all your client communications, bookings, contracts, invoices, all in one place. You can uh, consolidate the services you already use like QuickBooks, MailChimp, uh gmail all that stuff um it's a great choice for client and business managers for freelancers business owners it just lets you do everything that you need to do faster and better so that you can focus on uh, on what you really want to do save time do more of what you love using honeybook right now honeybook is offering listeners of rebel radio 50 percent off your first year with the promo code rebel payments flexible and the promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually So go to honeybook.com and use the promo code rebel for 50% off your first order. That's honeybook.com, promo code rebel. And uh, Justin, so uh, you seem to have a really interesting business um, in art and and working with brands. And so explain a little bit of what that is and how you got into that.
2: Yeah, so I guess like I transitioned from you know education to career. Seems like there were major, I guess.
3: Did you say you were you went to law school? Yeah, so okay. I, it
2: seems like there were major pivots. But now, when I look back on it, there's like definitely like a common thread that goes through all of them. Mm. So, so for example, I was a sociology major undergrad, passionate. Um, um, I consider sociology like creative nonfiction, where you dive deep into societies and interesting. Um, even my thesis that back then was um, about street performers and street artists, mm. where I'd like be on the streets with them all the time. Um, but yeah, I decided to go to law school and, and went to law school, and uh, the most important lesson I learned in law school is that I did not want to be a lawyer, Okay. Um, uh, but I focused a lot on um, intellectual property. Um, I was fascinated with creative industries and how to incentivize creatives to mm-hmm. produce more work and how to protect, protect creatives. And so after graduating, I, um, I really wanted to be in, in a cutting-edge industry where, and to be surrounded with a lot of creative people. Um, and the reason why I didn't want to go the legal path—it's almost the antithesis of that, right? Um, you know, creative entrepreneurs think outside the box, and lawyers are literally the ones drawing the box. Right. Um, so, yeah, I jumped into the tech world right after graduating, um, starting off with a tech market research firm um, in New York, and then moved back, moved to LA to uh, to continue the journey with them, um, and then went into early stage startups, and then. Um, started a couple of companies in the tech industry and then transitioned into the art world because um, I had a colleague in, in, in the tech industry and we had uh, kind of worked on, you know, co-partnerships and, st- and strategies together and, and decided we wanted to start a company together. And I've always been passionate about the arts. I grew up in a family that no matter where we lived or traveled, going to museums and viewing public art was Mm -hmm. a major theme of my childhood. One of my mom's biggest passions is photographing street art around the world. Oh, cool. Um, And she... Mine too, actually. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, she volunteers at MoMA in New York now. So I grew up in that kind of a family, but without being a professional artist, I knew I wanted to be surrounded by artists and to do what I could to help artists. And so um, about, you know, six years ago there was a mural ordinance uh passed in la which kind of sanctioned a lot of new public art and funded a lot of public art and um just kind of like scrap scrappy startup guys um me and my co-founder mikey went uh we were west so we'd bring our bicycles onto the culver city train station mm-hmm. bike all around downtown la because we were following all these like to us at that time larger than life street artists as they were putting up murals meet with them on the spot and like from the tech world, it's like customer development for us we're like finding out what opportunities they they had what obstacles they had um, and really quickly learned you know a few major themes one that um, a lot of these artists were not being valued for the work that they were doing sure. in the way that they should be, you know, yeah. producing massive murals that are basically billboards on the side of these businesses. Um, and secondly, a lot of the artists did not want to handle the business side mm-hmm. of the game. They just wanted to focus on artwork. And we're like, well, we have biz dev backgrounds, let's let's form partnerships with these artists. Yeah. And so, um, so we started off by, um, since these artists were not making a lot of money on their mural commissions what they were getting was huge marketing value with social media because these massive murals would go up and they get tons of followers so they had a global audience on social media primarily instagram but they weren't monetizing that audience so mm-hmm. we told them that we could help them build out merch programs and we would do limited edition print and apparel production for them, build out their e com website, um, do all the fulfillment customer service and started doing that for some of starting with LA, some of the prominent LA street artists. Who was the
3: first artist you worked
2: with? Uh, Wordsmith. Okay. Um, yeah, so Wordsmith was, was the first one. And and then the LA, you know, street art world is pretty tight knit. So Mm -hmm. that kind of led to a lot of other artists. And then, um, then to artists kind of around the world and eventually we started layering other services like um, mural commissions and brand collaborations but then um, Sneakertopia came along and these guys came into um, actually one of our You had an exhibit going yeah, on one of so, yeah, so one of our clients was uh, this Runway Ply Vista so they're uh-huh. um, you know smack in the middle of what's now everyone's calling Silicon Beach yeah. um, and uh and there are clients so we activate their vacant retail spaces and turn them into art spaces, so that it brings culture to the community, but then also for them, it, you know, allows them to lease the space out at a faster rate. Sure. And so, yeah, we met uh, the Steves, as I call it, the founders of Sneakertopia, at at the space, and um, it was the most exciting opportunity I like I came across since joining the art world because because that what we were talking about earlier, s- sneakers are a lens to so many other spaces and themes like sports art music and all of our artists because there's such an intersection between the sneaker world and the art world Mm -hmm. are passionate Mm sneakerheads, and so we knew that there were going to be like we would be able to curate like the best of the best artists for this exhibit because it would be so authentic to what they feel and what they want to kind of emote and produce through art and so um that led you know us to start having conversations um and then um, it led to something more deeper, which is now, like, I became the curator for, for Sneakertopia. Cool. So now, you know, we're all kind of on the same team, speaking one yeah. voice, and, and, um, and it's amazing.
3: Yeah, Yeah, that's cool. Um, you said something that I think is so smart, that that, uh, that they're giving you the space, or I don't know what your deal is, right, but with Imply with, uh, in, in Vista, right, that you know you always go you hear about how malls are having all this trouble or shopping centers or whatever, and there's like all these boarded up empty retail spaces and i you know i've I've always thought like why don't they just put stuff in there, even if they're not making money from it to attract people and to have something cool to see, and like because that will attract other people to to take leases oh, that's yeah. so
2: interesting then- I like the first four months of working together was venue scouting. Yeah. And this conversation this topic came up over and over again. You know, there's still, you know, you know some traditional mindsets out there but now there are a lot of new mindsets which is yeah experience is key right. to everything yeah. even if you're you know retail if you're going to have retail it needs to be an experiencing the brand feeling emotion with the brand that's what this whole exhibit is about yeah. so that you know i think afforded us to and have H- a really great H H
1: L A was has been really great as being a partner
2: with right. us on this and yeah.
1: in helping us to put
2: this here. And they realize they realize that yeah that this that experience is, is huge and you know we're not only going to be bringing what we expect to be a lot of people on a daily basis to the center Mm -hmm. but we also like bring a cool factor of like we're bringing sneaker culture you know
3: absolutely i mean you know i've been doing events for 20 years some great successes and some non-successes um and i think you know especially in la people underestimate the importance of the venue and the location Mm -hmm. you know you see people especially that come from out of town to try to try to build events here or, or, you know, businesses here. And they don't get how hard it is to get people to drive across town. And yeah. um, so, you know, being off 405 is really smart. Uh, being visible to the street is really smart. How much, I mean, it sounds like that was a, a something you guys put a lot of thought into kind of figuring out.
1: Figure out the location. It was... It, it was it was a balance. I mean, ironically enough, we're right here on Fairfax, which is like the mm-hmm. epitome of steeple right. culture. And yeah. we we looked around this area, um, on this block, uh, down near the Grove, mm-hmm. down by the 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 beach in Santa Monica, um, Arts District, Arts District, <laughs> yeah. yeah. and everywhere with everywhere that we went and searched, had an element of being able to bring a cool factor to elevating what that area had and where we are right now with so much going on and development in that space in in that playa area playa playa location this this is like us bringing fairfax to that quiet location.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like, the, so literally across the street from us is Sony Interactive Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Down the block from us is the biggest Nike camp in LA. Mm-hmm. Down the block from cool. us is the LA Clippers <laughs> practice facility. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's it's interesting. Like, uh, you know, yeah, what we become surrounded by there. Yeah, so it's and yeah, the the freeway access with again LA being car culture was 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 really important too.
3: How different uh, is the the event you guys are opening in a month, basically? Mm-hmm. How different is the event from from the idea when you started?
1: Ooh, it definitely... Well, you definitely, started with the idea,
3: yeah. so you tell me. It definitely
1: it definitely has morphed and evolved. Um, Difference from when we started space, space-wise, I mean, it's going to be kind of hard for... Well, for from the idea initially, so, when you and Steve Brown had started having your early talks. From when we had our early talks... The idea started out as how do we create an exhibit that is going to not only entertain people, but inform at the same time. Okay. How are we going to create a, a space where this utilizing sneakers as the, the, the conduit for actually bridging and expanding people's thoughts on what sneakers could and would be? Mm-hmm. Um working with working with Justin and the artist it's been a collaborative process uh, uh, the entire the entire way In literally every day the artists our builders our build out it's just uh, from what we thought was going to be more visual with like movie wise and TV screens we have translated that more into the actual art pieces. Mm-hmm.
2: And the other thing is um, there's been a, a real conscious effort to have this balance of being super authentic and respectful and appealing to the purest sneakerhead, okay. but also appealing to the mass audience, right? And that's kind of a tight rope to walk along. And y- so, yeah, with that, we're, we're the, all the immersive, larger than, like, we, we have a 70-foot mural in there, right? Mm-hmm. We have, like, I'm not going to tell you the subject <laughs> matters, but, like, there's some massive installations in there. But none of them are cheesy. Like, all the sneakerheads I'm sure will love it, the general audience will love it. But then we also want to contextualize the exhibit within the history of where we are within sneaker culture. So, we're going to have some of the biggest sneaker collections mm-hmm. on display in like the highest secured, mm-hmm. clear shoe boxes you've ever seen, you know, um, that are going to be lining every single section. So, there's that kind of mixture of experience and history and context that kind of goes throughout the exhibit that um and those i think were layers that we added even you know mm-hmm. during the whole duration like the you know of 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 the building out the space um just to make sure that we're always you know finding that that right balance it's like a recipe it <laughs> is <there> like <laughs> a recipe yeah we keep tasting it it's like okay it's good but we need to add a little bit more spice
3: mm-hmm. yeah. so w- where do you go for to to check yourself on that right because i think you know the authenticity piece that, you know it's it's not an easy task to please both the purists and, and the masses. Um, and I think, you know, I've, I've had that experience when, sometimes when you're in it, it's hard to see where the line is, right? Um, so w- what do you guys do to make sure you're on well, the right side I think side one of,
2: of the, I, and, and usually when I actually walk people through the exhibit, I, I it starts with, you know, a lot of the times with the art and the artist. That's mm-hmm. why the, the selection and the curation, of the artists. It wasn't just like, who's the biggest artist out there that we can get. It's who's the most authentic artist to this culture. Right. So uh, like most of these artists have worked with the large sneaker companies for doing mural activations, brand collaborations, all mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. They're all sneakerheads. Mm-hmm. So I knew, like, we knew that they weren't going to do anything that was kind of like, that that wouldn't appeal to themselves, right? right? So that, it starts with that. And then, um, you know, we do have this circle of I would call them unofficial advisors at this mm-hmm. point, um, who are not only like sneakerheads, but they're like pioneers in the right. industry. Yeah. And And um, and you know they've been following the track and the uh, about what we're doing and the path of what we're doing and um, and so yeah, I mean I, and we check each other also all the daily. time uh, d- daily. I mean uh, hourly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. Um, so. You know, you, you come from TV. I think you he said your partner, you know, comes from from tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, I think but he's,
1: he's uh, Steve Brown, um, my co-founder, our co-founder. Uh, while he has a tech background, he's a, he's a filmmaker at heart, too. He's been yeah producing and directing docs for the I last, years. I watch some like, of his stuff online. It's pretty, yeah. um, it's pretty Burning interesting. Burning Man, the Spark documentary for Burning Man was his first doc. So, yeah. He, oh, I didn't
3: see that. I saw the... <laughs> I saw the uh, the bird, the oh, bird yes. egg thing, which <laughs> is disturbing. Which is
1: crazy, right? <laughs> like, there's people out crazy. there that do that.
3: Um, yeah, everybody listening, you should check out that. I don't, was it called Obsession? No, it's, um, it's called something... Obsessed.
1: Well, there's a documentary the bird, um, you should find the about... People uh, that collect these bird eggs. That's yeah. highly illegal, because they're rare eggs. And it's just fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> these are birds alone.
3: Um... But uh, my point was it would be tempting, you know, to say, well, we're not event guys. Like, that's not, that's not what we do. And, and to feel like that's a, you know. You know, and, and so
1: over the last couple of weeks, removing that word event and expanding it to experience. Mm-hmm. Because an event in many ways is something that passes quickly. Okay. And we're 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 a marathon. Mm-hmm. This is this is a four, we're going to be set up for four months. We launch in October, and we're here to like the end of February, middle of March. So, right. it's longer than being an event. It's more than it's more than just an overnight thing. It's when you think about what Sneakertopia is, there's going to be programming that's going on the entire time. Mm-hmm. There's going to be panels and workshops mm-hmm. uh, where we're embedded into not only the sneaker culture, the sneaker community, but to the audience of exposing them to everything that's in the space. And, so,
2: there, and beyond that, it's like, you know, L.A. is is the first city. So, right. you know, it will open up in major cities around the world. And okay. and to that point, like, you know, when we are talking about, okay, the messaging to the consumers, you know, there are, events out there right there are where you it's like you know you buy a ticket to go to you know the chili cook off or mm-hmm. the circus and it's a transaction but our relationship with the audience with the consumer it's it's a relationship with the brand that it's not just going to be yeah a one time thing it's going to be a hopefully a lifetime interaction with us because there's some much larger plans in play for first neutopia um, that yeah it, exists well beyond even that person's individual experience that day at the exhibit.
3: So are there, are there models that helped kind of shape uh, what you guys are doing?
1: Models being like, like, other like the other pop-ups or the other events, experiences? I, I mean,
3: I, I guess it could be anything, right? So it, could, f- it could be MoMA, it could be Complex Con, it could be, you know, Beyond the Streets, it could I think be it, I, think as, I think
1: that as we we're all we're all exposed to many different elements and we take those those times of exposure and Mm -hmm. and we take we look at we look look at the good and what we may not want to have right and we try to take all little pieces of it from when you do an event like if you're launching a tv show you do have to plan and produce an event that's going to launch that show sure if you're doing a long-term exhibit if you're doing anything there's 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 the planning that, that goes to putting it together, and then you look at other pop-ups that are out there or what what has most recently been out there mm-hmm. and you take what are those great experiences that people have from that and then how do we how do we put our spin on it how do we put our special sauce on it? how do we work with our team to make sure that not only does it stay authentic to the culture but to what the what the artists want to do when they are developing this yeah
2: and it is about like yeah. Um, and I don't know if this was the like necessarily the inspiration, but when we look back on it, there are different components of, and not necessarily the, the strength for us, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it might not be the strength for someone else, but the strength for us is combining these different components. So, for example, yeah, the museum world, right? So definitely the, the similarity with the museum world is we're not just dealing with, you know, a product or theme that we're showcasing that's, you know, an Instagrammable moment. Um, we're dealing with a culture so dealing with a culture yeah we draw from that kind of museum world um i guess that museum world experience where it's it's it has kind of that level of seriousness but then um we also will do kind of workshops and panels like steve mentioned then from the other side with the pop-up museums you know like, for example, our ticket format is very similar, right? We have okay. pre-sale tickets. People are need to buy in advance a ticket to come to the exhibit mm-hmm. for a specific time and day, and, you know, we'll be letting a, about 150 people in every single hour. Um, and then we have these larger-than-life immersive installations that becomes an enjoyable experience. So we're kind of combining this really playful aspect of pop-ups with the kind of Seriousness that's needed when you're representing a culture, mm-hmm. and 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 I, I don't I don't know of a comparison out there, and I'm not trying to say oh this is a you know like no one else has done. and I don't think anyone else has done stuff like like this, but where there wasn't like an an exact replica of something sure. where we're like oh let's follow that blueprint, we had to right. kind of pull inspiration from different areas. Yeah,
1: you know? we 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 really worked hard to create something that's special indeed.
2: and unique. Um, and one thing that I did want to mention because I know we kind of generally describe what this exhibit's about but i think it'll be good you know i don't we don't we're being very conscious about not revealing the exhibit before (laughs) people get there but giving like a little visual reference because we did touch on the fact that um there will be special events and Mm -hmm. um we've curated this space so that it's such a great core exhibit that if you just get a ticket and go um during the during the open hours you know you'll have an hour, hour and a half of, like, a really enjoyable experience no matter when you go. But we've also curated so that there are certain sections that can be carved out to have private events, um, you know, VIP events, special workshops and panels. Mm -hmm. And one of those key areas is in the area that we're dedicating to music industry's influence on sneaker culture. Um, We're having a massive music stage that's certified and permitted for music performances, concerts, DJ sets, and then Mm -hmm. also panels and workshops. And these music stages are built as if they're massive shoeboxes. So the the performance stage is a 20 foot wide by 16 foot deep by four foot tall. Adidas shoebox. During the core of the exhibit, nice. we ha- the entire back wall is projected with this motion mural. Mm-hmm. It's basically this really interactive mural with short throw projectors so people can actually s- go up and stand and become part of that motion mural without casting shadows mm-hmm. that kind of Tells the history of all the important music collaborations um, with Adidas, starting you know with Run DMC, passing the baton to Pharrell and Beyonce and so forth. Mm-hmm. So during the core of the exhibit, that's people will be able to jump on the stage and interact with that. But nice. then for any special event, that whole area can be a concert, and mm-hmm. we can actually even uh, project specific content that's focused on that concert or that event. Um, so and that's have, you, un-
3: have you announced who's performing yet?
2: Uh, not yet. Okay. Yeah. We have not announced um, we'll, our special events yet. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of what I've seen out there is uh, where those elements are very separate. They're kind of, you know, a bit disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and even, I guess... You know, even ComplexCon, which I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, and I'm, you know, both the people who do it are, are friends, and some of them have been on this show, and, and I think it's a great experience, but I do think, like, you've got your your shopping and your shoes, and, and then there's music, and it's not it's not really a cohesive experience in the same way. That's one of the things I thought that, you know, they could be improved on. Mm. Um, so that's cool. It's cool to hear. Um What's the biggest thing you guys have learned so far in going through this journey?
1: Yesterday? Like, every, <laughs> every day we learned something. Is that right? Um, I think, for me, the biggest thing learning so far was how to develop and create something from scratch that is... It, this The closest thing to this is, like, building a house from scratch. Yeah. Um, Every single step of the way, putting together an amazing team, um, helping that team uh, not only work hard and work strong every single day, but at the same time to feel open and honest to share their thoughts and share their input so that we're able to, to, to grow together. That's been, great. That's been the, the the biggest and the hardest thing.
3: That's cool, and I'm glad you say use the house analogy. So I, I have an agency that mm-hmm. um, has we do a lot of things that we've never done before, <laughs> and that's um, I would like to say that's kind of a, a strength of ours, mm-hmm. right? But but I often tell people that you know making a brand video or producing an event or building a house are basically all the same thing. So uh, is that true? I mean, you've done now at least a couple of (laughs) them. You
1: you learn that. So that's along the way, every single day, the learning of going, oh, I know why I'm doing this. There was this experience I've done before. Or there's this person I've talked to in the past that I'm totally cool with, and now I know how to utilize that asset. Like, you didn't realize at the time why you were experiencing something or why you did something or who's a person that you met, that everything is, like, totally coming together. And the space was so raw that we moved it when we moved into it it literally it has been like building a house <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, <sure. laughs> wiring electric yeah. putting walls up like it oh, sure. literally has been like yeah. building a house and then finding every person in that team and working with them to help build that house
3: so with something like this that has so many moving parts there's you know just certain things you can't control mm-hmm. um what are you guys worried about what what's going to go wrong if you look back on this and it's and it didn't go the way you wanted it to. I think we've,
2: um, that would have been, I mean, it's a great question. It would have even been like a, the best question probably a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Because um, there are certain things in our control and there are certain things that aren't. And because we're going into a new development, and that's probably one of, unlike just like an, a logistics operational front, like it ties into one of the biggest things I've learned is I've learned a lot about this construction process because yeah, sure. we're going into a new development, right? And so we have to work side by side with a, a construction crew that's getting the first permit for the space from the city and dealing right. with city permitting and, and build outs and fire and safety and, and all of that. and. Um, that was not in our control at all, right? Because we're not even allowed to kind of mm-hmm. touch that. We come right. in and get our special event sort inspected and everything after the fact. We build it, the interior of the vanilla shell. And that was our biggest concern over the past three months because we couldn't control it. Mm-hmm. Um, but really finding a way where we as you know, producers and curators and could work side by side with a construction crew um, we were just had a, you know, they were now became part of almost the team, right? right? And like we we said, "Okay, we need lighting here. We need lighting there and uh, and they needed to put that on their electrical plans and and I, you know I was re- reviewing these technical plans, which is like new language for me. Um, yeah. but we've we've overcome that hurdle, and so that I think if <laughs> we can get by that, we can pretty much get get by anything, I think, but that that was nice. a week ago that would have been like, I'm really concerned about that now I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, that's great. We got the permit. That's a great feeling. Capacity 754, oh, official. Nice. So, yeah, that's really, cool. yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So uh, the city signed off on that. So, yeah. I mean, a year ago when this idea, like, first started gestating, uh, my partner, Steve Brown, his house had just burned down in Malibu. Oh, shit. Like, literally, I saw him a week before. He was going away, and it was like Noah's Ark. He went out of town. He went to San Francisco for a meeting. He had his rolling bag, his laptop. And that weekend, the house burned down. So he came back to literally nothing, mm. and had just moved here from San Francisco. We sat down um, uh, at the restaurant uh, on Sunset. And we're having breakfast. He's like, "So, what is it you want to do? If you had to do all your projects, we were developing stuff together. We had like sixteen, seventeen projects. So if any one project yeah. that you would want to do, yeah. what would that be?" I was like, "You know, it's not a TV show. It's not developing or a creative TV show from all the stuff that we're doing together, but..." want I want I wanted to do this venture the stecotopia venture mm. It's like okay let's do it and it was it was literally that faith of jump and the net will appear
3: why was it that
1: we we went into we we utilized all of our skills that we had built up to that moment and went into a space that we had never completely done mm-hmm. not knowing a team like jumped in the net will follow. We we didn't know Justin <laughs> November last year. Right, eighty five percent of these people that we're working with now we did not know last year. Yeah, and everything has fallen into place from raising our money to finding our location to hitting all of our dates. Uh, it's just been it's just been a, a true blessing.
2: You know, thinking about it, it's almost like <laughs> what we talk. It's like a microcosm of really about sneaker culture in general like the venture is like bringing you together with all these people that you never met before and like that's what we're trying to do with the exhibit we're bringing sure. all these people together because sneaker culture touches so many communities so you've already like achieved it personally for yourself now we just have to <laughs> achieve it professionally
3: yeah. so, I, so when you start that out as you said now you've built this team um, how did you how do you think about who belongs on the team or who's who are the right people for you to work with and who's not
1: the the jack welsh bus, bus uh, analogy. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, put the right people on the bus, right?
1: Um I think for right now it's been th- and and no judgment. It's just we know the vision that we have to achieve. We mm-hmm. know the work ethic that's required to to push that vision forward. Yeah. And the, uh anybody that can't keep up with that vision, it's it's okay. We understand, and you sure. know, we just have to keep it moving and find somebody else who's going to and can do it. Um, yeah. I mean, and we all push hard. Justin <laughs> pushes We We literally, it's... I, I, both I and my partner, Steve Brown, we work by example and not by, like demanding so right. we just continue to show that example The people that can keep up and maintain with that example are the ones that continue this journey
3: I mean it's interesting that you know you, you come from entertainment where um, you know the difference between a great movie and a, and a bad movie uh, or a TV show is often you know it's the people it's the cast mm-hmm. it's the crew right and that's, that's I think what it Means to be a great producer is to get the right people, more than anything else. And you know, the rest of the business world kind of forgets that, right? That everyone's living on Monster and Indeed and just taking, you know, you know, it's it's a mess out there Mm -hmm. in corporate America. Um, And I think that's the you know maybe the biggest lesson that the rest of the world could learn from Hollywood is that you know it only works if you have the right people. That's cool. Um, I have a uh, I have a lightning round. I'm gonna Uh-oh. run you guys through.
1: Is <laughs> it the scary? Jed didn't tell us about the lightning. Yeah. round Jen, Oh yeah. It's, our publicist he didn't tell hey, us the hey, lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> lightning
2: round.
3: Oh, but I. So we were talking about uh, your partner and his his movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so between the weirdo egg collectors mm-hmm. and sneakerheads, like, what have you guys learned about obsession?
1: Um. what I've learned about obsession is not to judge anybody from their obsession mm. but to use that as an opportunity to take a deep dive and crash course into being able to learn something like that person who's obsessed is going to give you sure <laughs> it's going to, it's going to download you so quickly yeah. on not only what that subject matter is but they're going to they're going to they're going to, their passion is going to come across in it and that's what's going to help you to understand it even more it's it's more about not only understanding what that subject matter is but why do people get so passionate about it and for me, good. for me I think um
2: which is, a, I think, a really great component of spe- obsession, especially with uh, sneaker culture, is the cross generational power of it. Because, um, you know, the the audience, I knew the audience for you know sneaker culture was huge. Yeah. but The great thing that we're realizing is that you know the the back then younger sneakerheads now have kids who are mm-hmm. like you know in their twenties and. You know they can pass down that obsession and it's this bond that they can share with their kids around that same culture and you know whether it's the same shoe or you know different athlete um, they actually kind of have that bond together because of this uniting obsession you know one of the things that I talk about uh, sneaker culture when um, we're in the space is that, and and partly of how we've curated it is that it's timeless, right? Like the Chuck Taylors came out in the 20s, Adidas Superstars and the Jordans in the 80s, and you know, all of those sneakers are some of the most popular of today. So because it's timeless, it allows like cross-generational bonds to occur.
3: I mean, that's so interesting you say that um, like 15 years ago, one of my best friends said to me that the difference the changes happening in the world is that we are the first generation where uh you know we and our kids are both wearing jordans and you know and that is such a huge shift and it's you know it's subtle right but but there is this i mean we see it happening in every area of life now that um you know i think parents and their children are becoming closer and you know i think. You know, if you're as old as me, you you grew up in an era where there was that rebellion and that, you know, we youth culture was about creating distance from the generations before you. And I think a lot of that is is eroding. And I actually think sneakers have a lot to do with that, because mm-hmm. when you literally walk in the same shoes, right? You you can, you know, and and, and I remember those times i I have a weird relationship to sneaker culture Um, (laughs) i want to hear that yeah (laughs) well because i mean i've always been into sneakers you know uh from day one it was chucks and every you know if you didn't have chucks on you were herb. (laughs) like that's all it was and then yeah superstars and air force ones and all that and um but there used to be a time when uh you walk in a room and you would know who you want to talk to you walk in a room full of strangers and immediately by the shoes, right, you could pick out your people. And you kind of can't do that anymore. Um, definitely not in the era of Yeezys and, and Booths and, and all that, right? Um, because because all of this stuff is is readily available to the masses and it didn't used to be. You know, you used to have to go to a dangerous neighborhood or, or at least a neighborhood that you were unfamiliar with to find the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so all that's changed. And so, Personally, I don't love that. I, you know, I get it. It's not. I, I, I miss a little bit of the the exclusivity. Not in the, not in the like, Travis Scotts that no one can afford or that are you know everyone's sold out to sell on eBay, but just that like it's exclusive because people don't know about it, mm-hmm. kind of thing.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, that's just me. Yeah. I'm you know I, I'm, I'm resigned to the <laughs> fact that like the world has moved on from that, and mostly I think it's a good thing. But uh, there's a little bit that's, you know, we we, we lose some things along the way, too. Yeah. Um, but you guys both have cool shoes on today. Well, I didn't
1: wear my coolest shoes because our location is <laughs>
3: it's very dusty. Oh, every yeah.
1: day we walk through, you're, it's a, <laughs> the shoes are film. i, I yeah, of course. literally on my
2: bench you, in my house. I, I have the Clorox wipes oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> every day. I come back yeah. and wipe down the shoes, yeah.
3: Clorox wipes, that's a good one. So, I, a a lot of times people ask me how I keep my sneakers clean, yeah. And the wipes they're good, they're the best, yeah. <laughs> s- simple and easy. And uh, you know, I sent one friend down to Jason Marks to drop his shoes okay. off and have all that done, but I think just the wipes yeah. that gets it done. So, were you
1: guys always interested in sneakers? My son, uh, is what. It didn't spark yeah. my interest, but it was like what had exposed me to the culture. Yeah. Uh, when he was in high school, and this is before StockX or any of that stuff, he was he was making trades on eBay. Yeah, you know, I'd buy him a pair of sneakers for Christmas, mm-hmm. and two months later, he's got four pairs. I'm like, where would those come from? It's like, oh, I traded, I traded up, and then, right. but then before I know it, the four pairs are gone. And he's got one pair that's like. <laughs> $1,500 dollars like that's dude right. you got more expensive shoes than I do than yeah. still in high school um, now his collection is probably it's modest it's probably like the $25,000 $30,000 range it's
3: crazy um, yeah it was crazy
1: yeah it was it was my son uh-huh. but that, like, back to like what you were saying it's like when we're in a generation now where you you're able to to speak that same universal language right. of kicks with your kids
3: yeah I'm nervous because my son is (laughs) almost my same size, (laughs) and like he's, you know, he's he's ten, so he's brutal on his shoes. But so I'm gonna have to like lock my shoes.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've always been into sneakers. I I was in elementary and middle school when you know the early Jordans came out, Um, and I've also always been really into technology. So Mm -hmm. one of my favorite shoes as sneakers as a kid were were the Reebok pumps Mm -hmm. to the point where. I was so obsessed with them that after they were completely worn down, yeah. I cut out the tongue and the pump and tried to use them in all, in my other shoes. So I put like the pumps in all my next shoes. It didn't work. That at doesn't all. work. <laughs> no, no, not yeah, at all. It turns out. Um yeah, but I really tried to kinda of preserve that technology That's hilarious. um into other shoes. That was like one of my early memories with sneakers. That's yeah.
3: hilarious. I worked on the twentieth anniversary of the pump. Really? Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> they were revolutionary when they came out. The idea amazing. of being able to just, like, push that little ball. It's amazing,
3: there. too, because, you know, like, within... How can I say it? Like, Reebok was not really a cool brand, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And yet, they made that one shoe mm-hmm. that just killed it. I like the classics, too. Mm-hmm. But the but uh, that pump, like, you know, the whole community embraced that. And I think you see that in a lot where it's really dominated by Nike and Adidas. Mm-hmm. But... You know, there's those shoes here and there that break through. Mm-hmm. You know, suede Pumas, like um, that. That you know, there there is a there's a weird sort of openness and closeness at the same yeah. time, which is cool. Okay, lightning round. I promised that mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> a long time ago. What's your favorite city to travel to?
1: I'm from New York. Uh, I mean, I just love always going back there. The energy, yeah. it's just. There's like no There's no place like it In the world
3: Are there spots That you always have to hit When you go
1: I love hitting uh, Meatpacking district yeah. In New York yeah. um, Soho's cool But I, th- if I have to say That the, the place That I would spend My most time And I live there too Is uh, going back to Brooklyn mm. it's, it's amazing Just right over the bridge there You still have a, Much of a city feel mm-hmm. But it uh, It feels uh, Organic and fresh
3: Nice Justin, um,
1: like? New York
2: as well because yeah. of family. <laughs> yeah. Because of family. Um, but this summer I, I experienced um, Detroit and I love Detroit. Oh, cool. I plan on going back there a lot. Nice. Great art
3: yeah, things yeah. happening in Detroit. Absolutely. Who's your favorite DJ?
1: Oh. Favorite DJ? Uh, I love Stretch Armstrong. Yeah, <laughs> me too so funny you say that <laughs> Stretch has been on the show
3: we love Stretch I love Stretch he's an old friend <laughs> yeah I love Stretch. incredible
2: favorite DJ um he's not really a DJ but he's kind of in that realm I still have Timbaland. I think he's like you know mm-hmm. one of my amazing. favorites yeah, yeah. yeah um and I like the I mean I like old DJ sets like I liked like Paul Oakenfold like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff you know yeah yeah. Nice. Now they're kind of priced on that. I guess I like all the people that are doing Vegas residencies now. <laughs> sure, <laughs> it ages me a little bit. But yeah. <laughs> that's all right. You're not gonna say Paulie D?
1: <laughs>
3: uh, what's the last great book you read?
1: Last great book, um, The Tipping Point. Yeah, right. great book.
3: It's good.
1: Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah.
2: Um, it's a book I, I, I read multiple times. Uh, Einstein's Dreams. Oh, I don't know it. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great book. It's um it's fiction.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Um and it's actually a really small book. You could if you get into it, finish it in a night. Every chapter uh, describes a fictional dream that Einstein had about a rule of time and describes a society that operates by that rule of time. So a short example is you know, when society operates by a rule of time where the more elevated you live, the slower time goes. Mm. And then how does that affect the way that people live in that world? Oh, wow.
3: So yeah, That's best. cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to check that out. What movie have you seen the most in your life?
1: It's tough. Because my, my, my friend, my my friend and business partner, uh, uh, Marlon Waynes, mm-hmm. Um I've watched a lot of his movies multiple times. the time. What's your so. favorite
3: Marlon Wayans movie? <laughs> um,
1: you know, I've seen all his films. Sex Tuplets right now Okay, is really, it's really, having known, having been friends for 30 years and seeing the evolution, like being there for uh, uh, Don't Be a Menace, yeah. uh, being, being on the set of Little Man and White Chicks. You know, it's not,
3: Maybe white chicks.
1: <laughs> I mean, I was in Vancouver with That's them when funny. they were filming it. That movie is anytime you put it on, it just.
3: That's funny. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, to me, "Don't Be a menace is like, <laughs> it's undeniable, uh-huh. um, and and I think I mean I'm glad to see that they they are coming out with something new because, like that type of satire, I think is missing. You know, they, you know, I grew up with you know Airplane and Hot Shots and all that, and uh, and it, we we need more of that yeah
2: what movie have you seen um Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind
3: oh wow that's a that's like a heavy watch yeah Yeah, that's cool (laughs) that's great um tell me one decision that changed your life forever Hmm.
1: going to Howard University Hmm. or going to that school um it just it set in motion the every effect every cause and effect uh, in my life I could translate back to there. It's great. The roots
3: the yeah. mecca.
2: Nice. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, moving to LA. Yeah.
3: yeah. Nice. So if I worked at uh, Sneakertopia, what's something that I would hear you guys saying over and over?
1: Wow, good question.
2: What do he I said? hear from you every day? Um,
1: <laughs> I know. I, I, I have mine. Whenever you're ready, you want to go first. Uh, I don't want to say I'm speechless because every something that you would hear me say over and over every day, mm. or maybe, or what do you hear over and over? What do I hear over and over? Yeah. You know, and and we talk about this internally, is that when we send out the deck, when we talk to people over the phone about it, when they get in there, it's they go, I had no idea yeah. this was like I had an idea, but this is bigger than anything my imagination could ever have wrapped its sure. head around. For sure, that is if there had to be one consistent response or or or. Statement that we hear on a daily basis when they walk into there is wow I had no idea it was this amazing
3: yeah that's cool um, that's cool and and it's sort of not surprising like I you know as I mentioned you know Jen and I were at the early Coachellas together and um, you know it's the same thing like we would talk to people. About it, but until they were there and saw it, and I had the same experience at Hot Import Nights, at um, Major League Gaming, these mm-hmm. these sort of things that are new and that you've never seen before, and it's like, yeah, the deck doesn't really tell the story. Yeah. yeah. What so? Yeah, what, what we hear to, you say over. Well, related
2: to that, I think is uh, yeah, what what we hear a lot or what we focus on a lot is staying focused on communicating the importance of what we're doing. Yeah. We really need to communicate that importance, which is related to, like, all the messaging that we're sending out, whether it's through decks or discussions, but that we are doing something important that is giving a nod to this really important culture mm-hmm. and to convey that both to people who are familiar with it and those who are unfamiliar with it. Yeah.
3: That's cool. Well, I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Uh congratulations on getting this far and, and uh you know, I'm sure the last sprint to the finish yeah. is gonna be <laughs> It's a marathon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no sprinting here. <laughs> we sprint our marathons. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um so how does everybody learn more, get tickets? How, what's uh
1: Tell us where to find it uh, online www.sneakertopia.com okay. and uh, all the information from getting tickets, getting memberships, booking events, um, looking at our calendar of panels and, and mm. uh, events that are going on. Everything that's the one stop location online to find out daily what's happening at Sneakertopia. And right. our social handles are Go
2: Sneakertopia. So okay, it's cool. Go
1: Sneakertopia. Oh.
3: Mm-hmm. Thanks for doing this. It was yeah, great thank talking you. to you. Thanks for having us. us. It was fun. Yeah. Come back after and tell us uh, <laughs> yeah. how you made it such come we'll yeah, a success. Yeah, you got to Yeah, definitely. Private tour, it. everything, yeah. Love to. All
2: right.
3: Cool. So <laughs> Yo, that was Rebel Radio with Steve and Justin from Sneakertopia. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, make sure you check out Sneakertopia if you're here in L.A. when it's, uh, when it's playing or uh, sounds like they might be bringing into a city near you, so make sure you stay tuned with them. Of course, leave us a comment uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, at Rebel Radio Net. You can always um, drop us a review if you're in the mood. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.